Amen. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 40 tonight. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 40. Just want to remind you all again tonight of something and ask for something. By the way, I, I asked for extra food Sunday and you guys sure stepped up. Just amazing. Thank you. Um, so Sunday, I mentioned this for the very first time, on the table, or not table, but what would you call that, Lisa? Where that, where Phil's standing, right there. There you go. Uh, we have some more of these cards tonight, and I'm asking everyone in our church to take one of these and either put it in your Bible, put it on your refrigerator, put it somewhere where you can be reminded to pray for this upcoming series. It is a series that I'm going to start on the first Sunday of November on the life and times of Elijah the prophet, and uh, would very much appreciate your prayers for this series. It's going to be our Sunday morning series in the months of November and December this year. Uh, And then also, I ask if you would take one of these or a couple of these And maybe use these to invite somebody to come with you to this series starting in November. So anyway, they will uh, be there. They'll be available on Sundays at the information table. Would certainly appreciate your prayers for this series, as well as maybe using these cards to invite somebody to come. So we've been taking this study of the Gospel of John slowly because... It is such a reflective book. I think the most reflective book in all the Word of God. It is in the way John wrote it and what he's writing about. It just, we lose something if we do not pause to ponder and consider and reflect on what John is saying. He's presenting to us the wonder of the Word of God personified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw, beginning last week, the great beginnings of interaction that Jesus, the Son of God, was having with human beings in His earthly ministry. This was, these were the very first interactions of those who would become His initial followers. And so we, we are learning a lot about Christ, and we're learning a lot about what it means to follow the Lord as we, again, take time to view these passages of Scripture. And so tonight is no different. We're just continuing in to to probe and look at these initial meetings that Jesus is having with some of His initial followers. And we left off last week talking about the fact that there were two of John the Baptist's disciples that were very much influenced by John the Baptist's testimony of who Jesus was. He was the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sin of the world. And because of John's testimony, and because they comprehended and perceived what John was saying about this man, they began to follow Jesus. And we saw last week that in their minds they were even wondering, is, is a relationship with God possible in the sense of 
spending time with him. And so they asked Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus said last week, come and see. And and the Bible says that Jesus was willing to hang out with these two men and spend time with them. And it just reminds us of the time that God wants to spend with us. The value again, uh, the preciousness of, of those that he created and how much he wants to be involved in our lives. Not just in the big things, but in every minute detail of our lives, God wants to be involved and he wants us to learn to open up to him and open up every area of our lives to him. And so we see these disciples staying with him there. And then we pick it up tonight in verse 40 of John's Gospel, chapter 1, where we read, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus. So we believe linked with what we just saw last week that Andrew was one of those that got a chance to spend time and stay with Jesus. We're going to learn a little bit about Andrew tonight, and he's going to be, I think, an encouragement and a challenge to us. But before we do that, notice that even here in John's Gospel, that Andrew is sort of identified not by himself, but by who he's related to. You've probably had that in your lives, or maybe others have had that. You know, you're not, you're not who you are. You're so-and-so's brother, sister, mom, dad, you know, spouse, whatever. So you can imagine how Andrew felt. And the reason being is because by the time John's gospel was written, don't forget, it was the last gospel written, probably written in the early 90s, if you will, of the first century, that by far Simon Peter was way more... Uh, known, way more popular than Andrew, his brother, was. And so that's why uh, John identifies Andrew sort of through his brother, Simon Peter. And notice the Bible says that they followed Jesus. We're going to talk a lot tonight about following Jesus and finding people and finding Jesus and bringing people to Jesus and and all of that tonight. But I want to start, since we're going down through this verse by verse, with the whole concept of following Jesus. The word in the Greek language means to join and accompany someone. It is a word that speaks of discipleship or becoming a disciple of one, a learner, which is what the word disciple in the Greek language means. It also is made up of two Greek words, one literally meaning union and the other word meaning road. So it forms a picture of ones who are, in a sense, united on the same road. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, to be on the same path, the same road with him, and to learn to follow him. Saying we are a follower of Jesus is easy. Doing it every day is much more challenging. Because there are places that Jesus wants to take us that we don't want to go. And we've got to learn to follow Jesus And to keep reminding ourselves that he always has our best interests at heart. 
He's never going to lead us somewhere that's going to be spiritually detrimental to us. It's always going to be for our spiritual profit. And the reason we must follow and learn to be good followers is because we will never allow Him to lead us where He wants to lead us if we're not learning to follow. And we know that many people, like they do today, followed Jesus for a time. But there came a point, sort of a a fork in the road, if you will, where when Jesus began to lead them down this path, they said, time out. That's enough. I'm done. In fact, keep your finger there in John chapter 1 and let me show you this in John chapter 6. One of the ways I always know where this verse is, is you'll easily remember this too. It's John 6, 6, 6. Okay? John chapter 6, verse 66. And notice what this verse says. After this, after Jesus' teaching about the road that He wanted to take His followers on, notice what the Bible says in John 6, 6, 6. After this, many of His disciples quit following Him and did not accompany Him any longer. (laughs) See? There was a limit. And so we understand that. You know, sometimes we're willing and others are willing to follow Jesus to a point. But they're not willing to continue to follow Him because again, many times in our lives as Christians, we realize that He's leading me down a path I don't want to go. And so we resist His leadership. And yet as we talked about even in Sunday's message, if He is the Good Shepherd, then I shall not want He will always lead me to green pastures. He will always lead me to still tranquil waters. He will always restore my soul. He will always lead me, you know, by refreshing my head with oil. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This is what it means to follow the good shepherd. But many times God's ways aren't our ways and we look at things from just our little thin perspective, and we go, God, that's not good for me. And God says, oh yeah, it is. And that's where our faith and trust has to come. And that's why many of Jesus' disciples quit following Him and would not accompany Him anymore. It's because their faith was not strong enough to sustain their commitment in being one of His disciples. Which goes back to why it's so important as followers of Jesus Christ, that we make spiritual growth the priority of our lives so that our faith remains strong because we will never sustain our commitment to a God who will always take us places where we don't want to go if our faith is not growing and being strengthened every day. So back to John 1, verse 40. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus. Then it says, verse 41, He, Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. 
You're going to see this word found many times in these first couple of verses of this last passage in John 1. And here's one of the encouragements in this word. When you and I are seeking to find, if you will, most of the time, it's going to be people right in front of us. See, Andrew, in order to be a witness to serve Christ, didn't need to go very far in order to find somebody to bring to Jesus and to tell about Jesus. He first found his own brother. And his own brother was right there. And again, implied in this word in the Greek language is the fact that this word found, unlike maybe some shades of meaning of our English, doesn't mean you have to go searching really hard or digging or it's a discovery or something or it just happens by chance. It's more a word that just says you find it because it's right there. And it's all in our attitude and mindset towards the object that we're in a sense finding. Hang in there with me. I don't want to lose you, but I've got lots of thoughts. What I mean by that is, implied in this word found is the idea of regarding the object. And regard simply means to, to look with feeling, to pay attention to, to respect, to have concern for, to have care for. In other words, the reason it's found is because I care about that, or I'm paying attention to that, or I'm looking because it's a passion, so I'm looking with feeling. It's, it's like maybe when you go out on a highway and maybe you, you got yourself a, a new ride, new to you, and all of a sudden you're out there on the highway and you start to see all the other models just like yours. And you never noticed them before, but it wasn't because they weren't there, but it was because you weren't looking for that particular model. You see, the reason why Andrew found his brother first is because he cared about his brother. He regarded his brother. He had concern for his brother, Peter. He had regard for his brother, he paid attention to his brother. And his brother was right there in front of him. He didn't need to go to great distances in order to find somebody. They were right there. And one of the things that God kept bringing to my mind as we read about all these people who were found in this passage is, Jeff, don't bypass the people right in front of you that I may want to use you to influence. And maybe it's not even an unbeliever. Maybe it's a Christian that God wants you to influence. And they're right there. And instead of looking past them to others around you, or, or past them to others, God may be saying through His Word tonight, but stop and ponder and reflect on those who are right in front of you. And don't miss them. To illustrate this, a couple years ago, the University of Maryland, in conjunction with, I think, the Washington Times, did an experiment on people's perceptions and priorities. They took a man who was a world-renowned violinist, 
Some of you who are into classical music will recognize this name, Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell went into a metro center in Washington, D.C. And if you know anything about our nation's capital, you know that most people that, that you know, work in our nation's capital use the metro to get to work and get from work every day. So thousands of people pass through these metro stations every day. And Joshua Bell, this world-renowned violinist who's played in all of the great music halls of the world, goes into this metro center, again, dressed not with a tux like he would normally wear when he's playing at, you know, some great center, but just wearing average clothes. But he does take out a three and a half million dollar Stradivarius violin, and he starts to play one of the most intricate pieces of music ever written for a violinist. It was Bach's Sixth Symphony. One of the most beautiful, intricate pieces. And he stands there in the Metro Center, one of the greatest violinists in the world, and he plays for a couple of hours. And no one stopped to listen. And here's why. (laughs) Because no one expected to see Joshua Bell playing a three and a half million dollar violin in a metro center in Washington, D.C. The only time I'm expecting to see him is maybe, you know, at the Kennedy Center or you know, some other place, and in a whole different... And so, the experiment worked to the, to the degree that it shows that we as human beings, if we're not looking for something, very often we miss it, and it passes us by, and we don't regard it, because we're not looking for it. And therefore, we don't find it. In fact, it was sad. He only even got a couple dollars as far as people giving him money while he was playing. And this guy, probably the cheapest ticket that you, you know, would buy if you actually saw him live would probably be, you know, a hundred dollars or more. And, and it just, it's, it's just a reminder that, that obviously, just like many today, these people were so busy and so focused on just getting where they wanted to get to and not really listening or regarding the wonderful music that was coming out of this three and a half million dollar violin that nobody stopped and paid attention. And yet he was right there. I might have been busy, but I would have at least stopped for a few minutes if I knew that that's who it was. And the point of all that is this, just like here. Sometimes we have to be careful as Christians that we are so focused on this and that our perceptions are, well, that's not the way God would do things or that's not the way God would work, that we totally miss what God's doing right here. And He's right here in front of us and He's working and He's doing wonderful things, but we're looking in the wrong direction and we totally miss it and we don't find it because we're not regarding it. We're not paying attention to it. We're not looking for it. And so it's profound. When John writes, he first found his own brother, Simon. And then something else I want you to see. Notice how decisive Andrew is. He doesn't say, you know, 
I think this might be the guy. He says, we have found the Messiah. And, and it's almost as if he's saying, my search is over. Because I was looking. I was regarding. I had care for the Messiah. See, I, I think that there was people in Israel who had listened to the prophecies of Daniel and others who were expecting and looking for the Messiah to come. And because they were regarding His coming, they were looking for it. They were expecting it. They were anticipating it. They didn't miss it. Like many others in Israel. And he says, we found the Messiah. My search is over. And it's like we said even on Sunday, once you and I have found Christ, what else or who else do we need? We are complete in Him, Paul says, Colossians 2.10. We have everything we need for life and godliness, Peter says in Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. And so we should not continue to be searching whenever we have Christ. All we need to start learning to do is appropriate what we have in Christ and who Christ is. And then I love this. Another great encouragement and challenge. The Bible says, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. I think that one of the greatest things Andrew ever did for the body of Christ was to bring his brother to Christ. Now think about that. Sometimes we measure our lives in, in, in again, ways that, that maybe God doesn't. But I think God would say, Andrew, you did a good thing by bringing Peter to me. Think of the impact that Peter made on the church throughout history. And realize that Andrew will always be a part of that. Because it was Andrew who brought Peter to Jesus. And it reminds us that it's a great model for us. That it's no different today. God wants us to bring people to Him too. And the word brought here means to lead by accompanying or to take with one. And so instead of trying to get someone to go by themselves, it's the idea that you and I go up and say, hey, will you go with me? Let's go together. And that's powerful. That's why I like to encourage you folks to think about that as far as inviting people to church. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, come to church. It's another thing to say, I'll come by and pick you up and let's go together. Or maybe a lady inviting another gal to the Bible studies on Thursday night or or the, a man inviting another man to come with them to iron sharpens iron or something like that. It's like, hey, let me bring you. Let's go together. It's, the way, it's always been effective. And we see this here. In fact, it's really cool that if you read the Gospel of John, you find that th if, if Andrew has something that sort of sets Andrew apart, it's that you always, when you always find Andrew, you always find him bringing somebody to Jesus. Always. That's Andrew. 
In fact, I don't know whether you remember this or not or know this or not, but guess which one of the disciples was the one that brought the little boy with the lunch to Jesus to feed the thousands? It was Andrew. That was Andrew that brought the little boy with the sack lunch to Jesus. Andrew was always bringing somebody to Jesus. And Andrew then is a great example to us. See, it, it, it may not be that, that even you feel, you know, totally comfortable maybe talking to somebody about God or, or your relationship with Jesus at this point yet, but you can always bring them to church or where they can hear about Jesus and grow and all of that. It doesn't need to always fall on us as individuals. And so Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. And then notice this. Jesus looked at him. How do you like to have Jesus look at you? And here's the thing. The words look here, again in the original language, means intense consideration. It wasn't just a look. It was, you know. And I'm sure... You know what I thought of as I thought of this intense look that Jesus was giving to Peter? I wonder if that was a similar look that Jesus gave to Peter after he betrayed him. In other words, there was that look. We know what that look is. Some of us know that look from our parents, the way they looked at us. Our spouses sometimes look at us a certain way. Our children look at us a certain way. There's a certain look. And the thing I love about this, though, is that the Son of God, Jesus, is intensely considering Simon Peter. He's he's not looking past Peter to someone else. He's looking right at Peter, who's standing right in front of him, because Andrew brought him. And then notice what Jesus says. You are Simon, the son of Jonah, you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And in those words, by giving Peter this name, he he is in a sense saying to Peter, Peter, this is what you will become if you follow me. That I created you with so much potential inside of you, and even though you might not see yourself as a rock, as a stone, as a symbol of strength and durability and and firmness and whatever, you will become that one day because you will be Peter. And Jesus would say the same thing to every one of his followers. He would intensely look at us and say to every one of us, I created you. I have a role, a responsibility, a unique, well-fitted responsibility for you. I have a plan and purpose for your life. I put so much potential in you. And if you will just continue to follow me, this is what you will become. And notice, Jesus, just like he did with Simon, does the same thing with us. He doesn't look at us at where we are, but at what we can be. And you and I have to realize that as well. Jesus right now isn't looking at anyone here for where we are, but what we could become and what we should become if we will continue down the path of following him. Now let me say this before we move on. We know, 
we know that it took a long time for Simon to start to become Peter. And I hope that will be an encouragement to you and maybe even an encouragement in you to allow yourself to be patient with others to get there as well. Because we know Simon didn't become this rock overnight. In fact, he slipped a lot along the way. It took years for Simon to become Peter. Even with the personal discipleship of Jesus Christ himself, it still took time. And so may we be patient with ourselves as we make ourselves available to what God wants to do in us, but may we also understand that from God's perspective, this is a lifetime process. It's all about making progress. It's never about perfection on this side of heaven. Just like it was with Peter. And there were many times with Peter, like there is in our lives, where it seems like it's three steps forward and two steps back. But at least we're still one step further ahead down that path. Think tonight. As you lie down in bed and go to sleep tonight, what does God want me to be? Who did God create me to be? What, what's the potential God placed inside of me? Because I believe He's done that with every, every one of us. And keep reminding yourself, it's not where I am now. It's where He wants to take me. It's what He wants me to become as I continue as that clay to put myself in the potter's hands and let him mold me. Verse 43. On the next day, Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee. I think the reason being is we're going to see very clearly next week, we're going to be in chapter 2 where Jesus was invited with his disciples to a wedding feast. Next week, we're just going to concentrate on the first miracle that Jesus ever did. And, and we're going to discover what does the turning of water into wine, what does that mean to me today? How can I as a Christian in 2013 get anything out of Jesus' first miracle? Come back next week. I think you'll be encouraged by all that it means to us as well. So I think that's one of the reasons. But the other reason is this. We know in Jesus' earthly ministry that he set up sort of his camp, if you will, around the Sea of Galilee. And all those little towns that were sort of like fishing villages that were dotted around the Sea of Galilee. Whether they were Bethsaida or Cana or Capernaum or his hometown of Nazareth. They were all little small fishing villages that were dotted around the Sea of Galilee. In fact, the word Galilee literally means circuit. It was a circuit, literally, of fishing villages that were around the Sea of Galilee. And he found, notice, Philip. There again, there's that, he found Philip. Gee, on his way to Galilee. And why do we think he found Philip? Because Philip was probably right there, because we learn here in just a moment that Philip was from the same town that Andrew and Peter was from, Bethsaida. And either as they were on their way or as, as they were good friends of 
of each other and probably had been for years, he was probably right there. Jesus didn't have to go far looking for Philip. Philip was right there. And yet it also reminds us that Jesus cared enough, regarded Philip enough to stop and have a conversation with Philip. By the way, I want to throw this out for you to consider. Because these towns around the Sea of Galilee were so close to each other and they were just little small towns, did you ever think that Jesus growing up had run into these guys and actually knew them and had some contact with them before he ever called them as his disciples? See, that's why I don't think it was just, oh, I, you're a stranger. I, I never, you know, have no contact with you. I, I think he had maybe some contact earlier on in his life because in these towns, you would have run into each other in these towns around the Sea of Galilee. And Nazareth was right on that circuit where all the other towns were. So he found Philip and he says to Philip, follow me, join me, accompany me, walk the same road with me. That's the call of the master. That's his call to every one of us. Just follow me. Learn to be a follower. We, we get so caught up, even in Christian circles today, with leaders and leadership and books on leadership. And other. Do you realize that from God's perspective in the Word of God, you never see Him talking about leadership, but you see Him talk a lot about followership. Because in God's perspective, you and I can't be a leader until we learn to be a follower. And so he says, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, a small fishing village, the town of Andrew and Peter. And then notice what Philip does. He finds Nathaniel. Why? Because Nathaniel was part of this gang of guys that were probably knew each other from the time they were kids. And Nathaniel was right there. And he cared about Nathaniel. And he regarded Nathaniel. And he had concern for Nathaniel. And so he wanted to tell him about Jesus too. And doesn't what we're seeing here in John just remind us that this is the way it should be with us as Christians, that even though we do lose that, that fire, that one of the things you get in a new believer that sometimes grows cold in people who've been saved for a long period of time is when someone gets saved and they've had their sins forgiven and they have a relationship with Christ, they can't wait to tell somebody about it. And that's what you see here. i got to tell somebody, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And that's the way it should always be. We should never get over our salvation and what God has done for us and the relationship that we have with God. And, and, and we should always want to tell somebody. Is anybody out there willing to listen? Again, not to be obnoxious and not to ram it down somebody's throat who's not willing to listen. Jesus himself said, don't cast your pearls before swine. But there are other people out there that, man, they're open. Their hearts are ready. They're just looking for something. They're searching. They're waiting for somebody to come along and say, I found something. And I want to tell you about it. And I care enough about you to tell you about it. 
And so Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth. Notice that now Philip is saying, This is what the whole Old Testament was about. See, that's why people think Old Testament and New Testament are like, you know, there's no continuity. Absolutely not. It is one book. 66 books, yes, divided into an Old and New Testament, but there is a continuity that runs from Genesis 1-1 all the way through Revelation 22-21. And the continuity, if you find nothing else, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in every book of the Bible. And Philip's saying, this is exactly what our, as Jews, this is what our Old Testament scriptures have pointed to. We found him. And notice, Philip hadn't hung around Jesus very long before he landed on this. The son of Joseph. Now notice Nathaniel's response. You know, not again, this is good, this is encouraging, because as you and I invite people, and as you and I try to talk to people about God, it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be some bumps and there's going to be a lot of rejection along the way. Keep persevering. Nathaniel had a little prejudice. See, again, if we understand it, those little fishing villages, there was a lot of rivalry amongst those fishing villages around Galilee. Think of it as like high school football rivalries. And so one of the reasons why Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is, is, you know, he was from Bethsaida, and we're better than the people in Nazareth. And I think another thing that that Nathaniel's saying here is this, and, and again, this is where if you're not looking for it, you miss it. If God was going to come to earth, and God was going to live somewhere, it's not going to be in some little town like Nazareth, up by the Sea of Galilee, surely it would be in one of the major cities of the world, right? No. That's not how God works. See? And that's why we've got to be on the same page and on the same road with God, because if we're not, then we end up missing what God may be doing or wanting to do in our lives, because we're looking over here, and God's over here. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Absolutely. The Son of God. And I love Philip's reply. He doesn't argue with Nathaniel. He doesn't enter into a theological debate with Nathaniel. He does what we should do. He simply offers Nathaniel to follow and see. Come see for yourself. Come see for yourself. Check it out. At least, at least be open enough, Nathaniel, to be objective and check it out. If at the end of the day you don't see anything special about this man and, and you've come to determine that he's not the Messiah, fine. But at least you come for yourself and you follow and check it out. You become acquainted by experience. That's what the word see means. To become acquainted by experience. Golly, i got to wrap this up. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and exclaimed, Look, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. 
I think Jesus is simply saying, unlike your namesake, Jacob, that was totally deceitful, here's a man of integrity. And here's a man that if he's presented with something, he's open, he's objective, you know, he'll give it a fair shake. So Nathanael asked him, how do you know me? And the word know here is to have intimate knowledge of. This word know is the same word that Jews would use to describe sexual intercourse. It is the most intimate knowledge one can have of another human being. And so Nathaniel's going, how do you know me so well? How do you know me so intimately? Can I say this? God knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He's our creator. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows us. And that's why his plan and his path for our life is the absolute best because he knows us. Don't ever forget that. He knows you. And Jesus replied, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. By the way, that word saw doesn't just mean to physically see. It means to care for. In other words, I'm directing my eyes over there because I care about you. And it again reminds us that Jesus cares about every, each and every individual. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the one and only Son of God. You are the king of Israel. See, the reason being because Nathaniel had realized no one else knew I was there. So when Jesus knew Nathaniel was where he was, that freaked Nathaniel out a little bit because it reminded Nathaniel this guy is omniscient, he knows everything, he's got to be God. And don't miss this too. When Nathanael says, not only Jesus, you are the Son of God, and says you are the King of Israel, he's also implying in that phrase that he's my King. Because if he's the King of Israel, and I'm a Jew, that means he's my personal King. I must surrender and submit to this man and follow him. And Jesus said to him, because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? That's why you think I am who I am. But notice what Jesus says. You will see greater things than these. In fact, in just a couple days when they get to Cana for the wedding, Nathaniel's going to see this Jesus turn water into wine. And he's going to see all kinds of unbelievable things as long as he keeps accompanying Jesus down that road. I want to encourage you. I know the road of following Jesus isn't easy. Jesus never promised it would be easy. Remember, he said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many on that road. And and the road to life, to real life, abundant, fulfilling life, it's very tiny and narrow and few find it. But the ones who are willing to walk down that road with Jesus will see unbelievable things. That only those who are willing to accompany Jesus would ever be able to see. In fact, Jesus says this. We end here. He continued, I tell all of you the solemn truth. Amen. By the way, interesting, real quick. The word amen is the only universal word 
in, in, in the history of human language. In other words, it doesn't matter what language amen is translated into, it's amen. French, amen. Spanish, amen. Italian, amen. Every language, it is universally translated, amen. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I think Jesus is reaching again all the way back to the book of Genesis where Jacob saw this ladder, this stairway, reaching from earth to heaven. And he saw angels descending and ascending upon this ladder or stairway. And it was a picture of God communing and communicating with men and having access to God. And what Jesus here is saying, notice this, very important. He's not saying that the angels, the messengers of God, are communing and giving us access to Him upon a stairway any longer, upon a ladder like Jacob saw. No, the angels are ascending and descending upon Him because He is our mediator. He is our stairway. He is our ladder. He is our access to God. He is who we commune with to God. God has spoken to us in these last days, the author of Hebrews says, and he's spoken to us once and for all through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we want to hear from God, just look at Jesus. When we want to talk to God, it's only because of the blood of Jesus that we have access to the throne of God. And so Jesus also is opening up again to his first followers the wonder of who he is. Folks, Jesus wants to spend time with you. He cares about you. He's found us. And he's willing, like that shepherd, to even leave the 99 sheep that aren't lost and to go after the one that is. He wants to find people because he loves us and cares about us so much. He has a plan and purpose for our lives. And all he asks of all of us is follow me. Let us follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for being such a great shepherd. A God again, Lord, who always knows us, knows what's best for us, knows what will profit and benefit our lives more than anything else. And though you never promise us, Lord, that if we follow you, that life will always be easy and free of trial and pain and suffering, you do promise us that we will have the most fulfilling, satisfying life that we could ever have because we're following Jesus Christ. And you, God, have a plan and purpose for our lives. So God, may each of us here recommit ourselves to following Jesus you, to just letting you lead and help us, Lord, to trust you enough to know that wherever you're leading us, it may not be where we want to go, but we trust you enough to know it's for our own good. God, go with us this week. May we be like Andrew, who brings people to you all the time and who finds people. God, may we have that kind of regard for others. May we not look past people who are right in front of us, but Lord, maybe the people that you want us to influence the most are the people right in front of us. Help us not to miss, Lord, what you're doing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, folks, again, if you weren't here on Sunday or you didn't get one of these cards, I didn't, please pick one of those up. If nothing else, pray for this series coming up and take a couple to bring somebody with you to the series in November. Thank you, guys.